0: Pints with Jack, Season 2, Episode 6. The Great Divorce, Chapter 4. i got to have my rights. Friends, welcome to the Pints with Jack weekly podcast, where David and I have the distinct privilege of enjoying a drink together, unpacking the writings of C.S. Lewis, and discovering the truth and beauty of Christianity. We are currently in Season 2, in unlocking the treasures hidden within our favorite C.S. Lewis work, The Great Divorce. For new listeners, my name is Matt, and I am joined by my friend David, whom every day sets an example for me of a solid person.
1: (laughs) I actually thought you were going to introduce me by describing me as a man who always has his rights.
0: That would have been so fitting.
1: And it would have been so close. He's always right, not he always has his rights. (laughs) Well played, David. So this week I am finishing off the Glamorangi, the Quinta Rubin. Uh, what are you drinking?
0: My last peach pear LaCroix. <laughs> uh, I just ordered uh, 100 LaCroix from this service called Box.com because they were, they were half the cost of what I get them at the store. And so now I'm totally stocked up for the next three or four months.
1: I hope it would last you that long.
0: So, what's the quote of the week?
1: So the quote comes from The Big Ghost. Tell them I'm not coming, see? I'd rather be damned than go along with you. I came here to get my rights, see? Not to go snivelling along on charity, tied onto your apron strings. If they're too fine to have me without you, I'll go home.
0: Nice accent there. Thank
1: you. (laughs) I have very distinct accents in my head for each of the ghosts.
0: We could tell. That actually is a very fitting one.
1: (laughs) So what have you been up to this week?
0: You know, I'm actually, for that retreat, I think I mentioned this last week, but I'm reading that St. Teresa of Avila, the interior castle, and I actually wanted to share a passage from it because I, I, I believe it fits pretty beautifully with this week's particular character. She says, Let's make the best possible use of our feet first and learn to know ourselves. And yet it seems to me that we will never know ourselves unless we seek to know God. Glimpsing his greatness, we recognize our own powerlessness. Gazing upon his purity, we notice where we are impure. Pondering his humility, we see how far from humble we are. It's just that, that idea that when you understand really how broken you are, how sinful you are, how prideful you are, can you actually start putting yourself into right relation with God? And we'll see this big man who has his rights, doesn't quite seem to realize that. And in fact, he doesn't understand that the worldview he wants is probably not actually going to turn out very good for him in the end.
1: Very nice. Uh, I actually also had a quotation to share because this past week I was looking up a quotation in letters to Malcolm and I came across a line which I thought shed a little bit of light on the landscape of heaven that we read in this book as well as the appearance of the bright spirits that we meet there. So... This is Lewis in Letters to Malcolm. He says, If grace perfects nature, it must expand all our natures into the full richness of the diversity which God intended when He made them. And heaven will display far more variety than hell. Wow, I like that. Yeah, when we were reading about the Grey Town, you kind of got the impression that Lewis had told you everything that you really needed to know about it. It wasn't a very exciting or interesting place whereas we're going to spend the rest of the book exploring
0: heaven. And you're exactly right. When you explore heaven, you actually start to learn a lot about hell too at the same time, almost by seeing what it's lacking. It explains a lot of what hell is.
1: That's so awesome. All right. So it's now your turn for the 150-word summary of the chapter.
0: All right. Here we go. Lewis wanders away from the bus, making slow progress over the painful grass, He is followed by the big ghost in one of the solid people, Len, who was an employee of his on earth. We found out that Len murdered someone. The big ghost is therefore horrified to find him here in heaven. While admitting he was neither religious nor faultless, the big ghost claims he always did his best, never asking for anything that wasn't his by rights. Even now, he isn't asking for anybody's bleeding charity. But Len corrects some of these delusions and exhorts him to do just that, to ask for charity. Finally, Len explains that having hated him on earth, he now asks for forgiveness and offers his service. However, the big ghost rejects it all, saying, tell them I'm not coming. See, I'd rather be damned than go along with you. (laughs) I really like the ending of that. I'd rather be damned than go along with you. That that's that actually could be something that summarizes this entire book, too, because that's essentially what every character ends up saying.
1: As we said before, they want heaven, but on their terms. So we're now at the point in The Great Divorce where we're going to settle down into a little bit of a rhythm. Jack's going to observe interactions between the ghosts who came with him on the bus and some of these bright people of heaven who have come down from the mountain. And this is going to be the basic format each chapter going forward. And at the start of this chapter, Lewis realises that the approaching bright people, he also calls them solid people, they're each making for a particular person. And so following his sense of propriety, and no doubt his British distaste for awkward situations, he decides to leave the group and avoid these inevitable affecting scenes, as he calls them. Little does he know that the rest of the adventure is going to be nothing but a succession of affecting scenes. (laughs) But Lewis moves away from the bus and we're reminded of the hard nature of heaven. Whereas a little bird in that country can hop across the grass with ease, it really hurts Lewis's feet and he makes very slow progress. But he's followed by a ghost whom we've already encountered. We've known him thus far as the big man. We met him first at the bus stop when he hit that guy, and he's the one who's been making threats of violence ever since. Since we've discovered that all the people in the Grey Town are ghosts, Lewis now calls him the Big Ghost. Anyway, he's followed by one of these bright people, and it turns out that they knew each other on Earth. He's called Len, and he used to work for the Big Ghost. It's revealed over the course of their dialogue that Len murdered a common acquaintance, a guy called Jack. And it's because of this that the big ghost is shocked to find that while he had been in the grey town, what we realise is hell, Len had been in heaven. Here's what he says. What I'd like to understand, said the ghost, is what you're here for, as pleased as Punch. You, a bloody murderer, while I've been walking the streets down there and living in a place like a pigsty all these years. This isn't an entirely unreasonable question. I mean... Don't good people go to heaven? What's this murderer doing here? Doesn't that seem like a violation of
0: justice? Well, you hear this all the time today, actually. I mean, you hear people say a very common phrase, I'm doing the best I can. Or, you know, I'm living a pretty decent life. It almost becomes dangerously somewhat of a relativism of, you know, I'm doing a pretty good job, especially relative to what other people are doing. As if, the assumption is doing a good job is what gets you to heaven, mm-hmm. which we're going to learn very much in this episode. That's not the case at all. That's not the prerequisite for getting into heaven. And this topsy turvy nature, the idea that
1: a murderer is in heaven and this boss, although he's rather unpleasant, you know, he does not this great sinner. The fact that he starts off in hell, it reminds us of when Jesus said, that tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of the religious elite, the Pharisees, who were zealous for God.
0: i never forget a priest I was having a conversation with him pointed out to me. The religious leaders knew teaching, knew orthodoxy, knew the rules better than anyone else. They were scholars. They understood it all. But one of the issues, none of those things are bad, first of all. I mean, David and I love digging into theology and are enthusiasts, not scholars per se, but enthusiasts about it. But, but the issue with the Pharisees and the Sadducees was what they prioritized. Not their knowledge per se, but it was how they used that knowledge. And it was, as the same priest would say, They missed heaven by 18 inches, the distance between their head and their heart. The knowledge never actually converted into their heart into how they were to treat people and how they were to act in relation to God and be humbled. Instead, they became prideful. Mm
1: -hmm. The only thing I would say where their knowledge was deficient was in knowledge of God's mercy. Yes, that's a very good way of putting it. And Len tries to help the big ghost understand, but the big ghost just can't let go of it. (laughs) One of my favorite questions he asks is whether len's ashamed of himself and len responds no not as you mean and he says i don't look at myself i've given up myself i had to you know after the murder that was what it did for me and that was how everything began
0: in in case i didn't explain why i brought in saint Teresa of avila well enough in the beginning of this it was this scene exactly right here He doesn't, he let go of himself. He died to himself. And so that's why he can't even feel shame because shame requires you to be ashamed of yourself. And he, when he murdered the, the individual, when he murdered Jack, it's almost as if he realized how broken and imperfect he was in that moment and how uh, small he was. And then he also realized God's mercy. And that's her whole point of that first step in our journey is we need to realize that, more than anything, that self-knowledge, that self-awareness, before we can progress anywhere, it has to start with humility. Pride caused the fall. As Augustine says, humility has to be a part of the rise. Yeah, and everything that
1: Len says sounds like it's coming straight out of mere Christianity. Remember what Jack says about the humble man. He doesn't focus on himself. I think you're right. the The event of the murder woke Len up. He came to the end of himself. He saw how bad he could be. And he knew that he couldn't make excuses for that. He needed help. He needed mercy. He needed God.
0: There's a scene in there in the very beginning when, when the big ghost is calling out Len. He describes, well, you killed Jack and how can you be here? And you seem pleased with yourself. And Len just says, it's all right. It's fine. As a statement of fact, that jumped out to me big time. I think there's a lot of truth in that simple statement there that in the eyes of God, when he's forgiven you, when he's absolved of your sins, when you've asked for mercy, the things that you've done, they're a part of your story. It's not like they're forgotten. Nothing that we say with forgiveness doesn't mean they're forgotten, but our conscience is clear. So it, it becomes a statement of fact. Yeah, I murdered Jack. He doesn't mean that as if it wasn't a bad thing, but he also doesn't have to have an attachment to a shame anymore from that action because it's, it's done. It's been forgiven.
1: Lewis's favorite mystic was Lady Julian of Norwich, and she would say, all things will be well, all things will be well, and all manner of things will be well. That's Len's point of view at this point. He is in heaven. He has met God. He has encountered grace and mercy itself. It's fine.
0: (laughs) I've never heard that before, and that's beautiful. And essentially what I, I see there a bit from that quote, but then also what you see between the ghost and the solid person Is this earthly versus eternal perspective? Because in response to what the ghost, uh, in response to what Len says, the big ghost goes, "Yeah, well, Jack's still dead though," which is a very earthly thing to say. He's still got the short end of the stick, even if you've been forgiven. And then the solid person, from a very eternal perspective, Mm. goes, "No, he's up there in heaven. He sends his love. (laughs) He sends his love. He's in a much better place." And so I think there's there's a beautiful point there also of. Sometimes we can get too attached to things of this world and forget the perspective of the eternal. So yeah, if you don't believe in heaven, that death is kind of sucks for Jack. But if you believe in an afterlife, you can believe that there's so much more in God's plan for Jack than just his time here on earth.
1: But the big ghost just can't grasp this kind of logic. He says, personally, with an emphasis which contradicted the ordinary meaning of the word. I love that little line. Personally... (laughs) I'd have thought that you and I ought to be the other way around. That's my personal opinion. And it's here we see the heart of the big ghost's problem. It's self-righteousness. It's very clear that in his own estimation, he thinks that he's lived a far better life. He says, I've gone straight all my life. I don't say I was a religious man, and I don't say I had no faults. Far from it. But i had done my best all my life, see? i had done my best by everyone. That's the sort of chap I was. I never asked for anything that wasn't mine by rights. If I wanted a drink, I paid for it. And if I took my wages, I'd done my job. See, that's the sort I was,
0: and I don't care who knows it. Before jumping in on that whole part about the rights, when you mentioned, I ought to have been ahead of you, the one ghost, the solid person responds, well, soon enough, you may well be. I'm actually curious your thoughts on that, because isn't there some teaching on different levels of heaven in relationship to God? Because... The ghost essentially says, if you do the right thing, which is let go of yourself and follow me and surrender, you may actually be ahead of me.
1: You do find it among mystics. And I even think Thomas Aquinas teaches this idea as well. But in heaven, we will experience all the love that we can experience. But we can experience more if we have emptied ourselves more. So the one who loves greatly can receive great love. The person who has emptied out themselves can open their arms to everything that God offers them.
0: No, I like that. I've never, I've never heard that before. But but back to the main point, this guy getting caught up in rites.
1: Mm. Yeah, it turns out that not all Pharisees are religious. I know when we think of the self-righteous person, we automatically think of religious people. But this episode here reminds us that secular folks aren't immune from it either. <laughs> And his constant refrain about his rights shows us that he thinks that God is in his debt.
0: And that's what's super dangerous about the rights part. It, it becomes a contractual bargain. If I do X, Y, Z, then God owes me this. Think about that for a second. You're, you're saying the creator of the universe who created you owes you something, is indebted to you somehow because you've held up your end of the bargain, which that's from mere Christianity, if we remember.
1: Yeah. He's demanding justice, but appointing him as the judge, the one who gets to decide what is just. I like that. I think the passage you're alluding to in Mere Christianity is when Lewis says in book three, Christ offers us something for nothing. In a sense, the whole Christian life consists in accepting that very remarkable offer. This is the offer that the big man is going to reject. But the difficulty is to reach the point of recognizing that all we have done and can do is nothing. What we should have liked would be for God to count all our good points and ignore our bad ones.
0: That's the deal that the big
1: ghost wants.
0: In Len responds to him and says, you don't really want your rights. Because what he doesn't realize, the big ghost, is, is God offers something far better. And I believe he goes so far and states, in fact, if you got your rights, I don't think you would be very happy with what the outcome would be because we always think we deserve more than we do. It's like in those marriages, they've done the surveys of how much of married couples each do in the chores in the house, and it always adds up to like 150% because they (laughs) each think they do way more than 50%. (laughs) We we think of ourselves as probably slightly better than we are. And so if we were held to the standard of rights, it wouldn't be very good for us, probably.
1: Yeah, the deal that's offered to us is far better. But the big ghost thinks he can get into heaven on his own merits, The idea of grace is just too much for him. He says, I only want my rights. I'm not asking for anybody's bleeding charity.
0: Oh, that term was incredible.
1: Yeah, and Len gives the
0: best response. Ask for the bleeding charity. (laughs) It's that easy. What did you think of when you heard the word bleeding charity? Out of curiosity.
1: Well, I think Lewis is doing a bit of a pun and hinting at something here. It's the charity, the love of the bleeding God on the cross, atoning for his sins. He says, that's <laughs> the charity you should ask for.
0: Yes, uh, it's exactly what I thought of, too. I thought of the cross, and I thought of the, the particularly, actually, I've been praying the sorrowful mysteries, doing them routinely when they're supposed to be on the days, and so you have to meditate on the agony in the garden, the scourging in the pillar, the... Uh, the carrying of the cross, the crowning of the thorns and the crucifixion. And I have, I'm doing this on this app, like I mentioned in a previous episode called Hallow. And it's like 30 minutes. So it takes you really beautifully through it. And there's these scenes where he, when he finishes stating the carrying of the cross, he goes, picture Jesus with the weight of the cross on your shoulders. And I just sit there for the next five minutes as i are going through the decade, picturing that weight of the cross. It is powerful. I mean, it, it, just reflecting on that, seeing that bleeding charity has just been humbling. It's just unbelievable.
1: But for the big ghost, this is all foreign. <laughs> he, he, he just can't accept it. One of the podcasts I listen to is Speaking with Joy, and the host, Joy, and her brother. They spoke about this episode in The Great Divorce, and she compared it to Jean Valjean and Javert in Les Miserables. Nice pronunciation. Thank you. Please tell me you've seen at least the movie. I've seen the movie. Excellent. Because both of those characters are offered mercy. One receives it because he knows that he can never earn it, and the other rejects it and instead chooses self-destruction. I need to watch that movie again. If you watch it with me, you get my bonus singing.
0: Oh! I'll be back in San Diego over Easter, so. I'll be actually for like 10 days.
1: Great. So Len is aware of his own shortcomings and his need for mercy. After all, he murdered someone. You can't really make too many excuses that allow you to get away with that. (laughs) (laughs) But the big ghost, he doesn't see his shortcomings. He doesn't see his need for mercy. So Len tries to show him reality and clear up some of the delusions that he has. He points out that he actually didn't do his best. The fact that he was a hard man, both to his subordinates at work And to his own family.
0: Usually, when you're super harsh with yourself, or the worldview you apply to yourself is what you end up applying to others. So, he's applied this worldview of rights. In his relationship with God, he's deserved these because of his rights. But then, what happens is you apply that to everyone else, too. I mean, he was probably hard on his employees because he expected a ton of them. But he'd say, I'm working hard, so you need to work hard. Where instead, if he would have operated from this worldview of compassion and mercy, like the, the Lord had mercy and compassion on him, you begin to treat others that way too, and yourself.
1: Yeah, he accepts none of what Len has to say. Uh, he has a very low standard for himself. Uh, yes. And us as readers, we see the irony that while the big ghost has expressed his utter disgust that a bloody murderer made it into heaven... He has spent nearly this entire journey either being violent or threatening violence to those around him.
0: I never made that connection.
1: The bit that made me really uncomfortable in that part of the conversation was when Len says, there are no private affairs here. There are no private affairs in heaven. And that made me wonder what it would be like to go to heaven and have other people know some of my deepest, darkest secrets.
0: Oh, I thought that exact same thing, actually. I I thought to myself, yeah, if someone objectively evaluated me from the outside, they'd probably say I'm doing a decent job. But but then I think to myself, if only they knew my thoughts when I go around the world. Mm -hmm. And God knows all of those. Actually, it's very humbling to think about, because I think of myself as, quite frankly, a pretty terrible person. The way I judge people, the lust in my heart, the greed, the thoughts I have. And I'm like, I don't know how I can judge another human being because, man, if you heard my running monologue in my head, you would not think I was going to heaven. Well, on that
1: point, on that interior life, Len makes a surprising confession. He says that committing that murder actually wasn't the worst thing he did while on Earth. He admits to killing the big ghost
0: in his heart nightly. This, to me, was one of my favorite parts of this chapter. This point. I and mean, and I know it's not actually the main point of the chapter, but I just think it's so beautiful. It's exactly what Jesus says when he says, every time you've looked at another person lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. Lewis was huge on this idea of becoming either heavenly or hellish creatures, these small decisions you make. And it doesn't mean actions. It also means your thoughts and your heart shape you one way or the other. And the reason those are so important is because what we see in the great divorce is you have to ontologically, you have to become a person that desires heaven. You have to want heaven. So even if you've never quote unquote killed someone, but your heart is constantly murdering people, you're going to reject heaven because that type of heart isn't a heart that desires heaven. When I'm reading that again, I'm thinking about everything I just said, my lustful thoughts, my greed, my envy. I I, I wonder if I were to go to heaven and I had to let go of some of these things, would I really actually want heaven? It challenges you big time. And it gets
1: back to Lewis's point in Mere Christianity about the difference between fleshly sins and spiritual sins. Yes, and how the spiritual ones are the most dangerous.
0: Yes, that's a this 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 big man this big ghost is a great example of the spiritual sin. Uh, almost that sin of what, what what sin would you call that? His main issue. We call it the sin somewhat indirectly the sin of pride. I would say pride. Yeah. Yep. And so he never committed the murder. He never committed like what we would judge as most horrendous act a human being would do. But yet you see that flipped on its head. Who's in what role? And also, what De Lewis say was the essence of pride, competition.
1: He's objecting to the fact that somebody is ahead of him.
0: Yes, in someone that he can't stand, pridefully, who seemed worse than him,
1: in his own personal opinion.
0: <laughs> yes. Which all this to say, given that you and I really know what goes on in our heads, in our hearts, in our private lives, I'm very glad for Bleeding Charity,
1: mm. <laughs> personally. And this week, I actually started reading C.S. Lewis's anthology on George MacDonald. Mm. Spoiler alert, we're going to meet him soon. I just figured I should actually be a little bit more familiar with his stuff. And I came across this in the anthology. Let's see if this sounds familiar. It may be an infinitely less evil to murder a man than to refuse to forgive him. The former may be an act of a moment of passion. The latter is the heart's choice. It is spiritual murder, the worst, to hate, to brood over the feeling that excludes, that, in our microcosm, kills the image, the idea of the hated.
0: That's exactly where he got that.
1: Yeah. As I'm going through it, I'm spotting heavenly and hellish creatures, all the things that we came across in Mere Christianity.
0: You know what makes me feel better? When I read some of these authors that Lewis was very much influenced by George MacDonald, as you just did. I've read a lot of Chesterton, who had a great influence on Lewis. It makes me feel a lot better, because you read Lewis, and typically because some of those other authors aren't accessible, you think this guy was a genius and came up with all these original ideas. He was a genius in how he synthesized it all and could tell it. But a lot of these are taken from other people. And it makes me feel better, because if you ever hear me talk about Christianity, I steal everything from Lewis. (laughs) But he just stole from other people, so (laughs) I think we're in good company. So, Len
1: asks for his forgiveness, and he offers to serve the big man for as long as he needs it. But, like that quotation from George MacDonald, the big ghost rejects it. He's unchanged. He says, Tell him I'm not coming, see? I'd rather be damned than go along with you. I came here to get my rights, see? If they're too fine to have me without you, I'll go home. We've spoken a little bit about his rejection of grace. But why do you think he rejects Lens service?
0: I think it goes back to what we just said earlier. His big issue is pride. He needs to accept service from a person that he considered lower than himself, a person that he considered beneath him on this earthly perspective. But wouldn't I mean, that, how, But wouldn't that then make sense? That well, if he's beneath him, then he should serve him. You know, have you ever had it in life when there's a person you're angry at? Never. And then they do something No, you've never been angry at anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for us other normal human beings who get angry from time to time and aren't quite at the solid stage yet, David. Okay. When I'm angry at someone and then they show me an act of kindness or like they're willing. That's loud.
1: New Yorkers, stop committing crimes. We're trying to record a podcast here.
0: (laughs) You should leave that in. I've had it in my life when there's a person that I I have a bitterness towards, an anger in my heart. And then they show me kindness by either being willing to serve me, uh, by asking for forgiveness, by showing an act of kindness. It really is hard mentally because you want to be angry at them. You don't want to forgive them. Think of our video we released a few weeks ago. You have this rationale in your head for why you don't need to forgive them. They're, because they're a bad person. If only you knew how bad this person was, they don't deserve it. But then they do something that counters that. There's like a cognitive dissonance. Your brain has a really hard time reconciling it. And so it's just very frustrating. And, and it's not easy just to say, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, you're good. Thanks so much.
1: It's a little bit like our bonus episode a couple of weeks ago. when If you viewed somebody as the enemy and then they do you a kindness you now need to reassess how you view that person.
0: Yes. And it's usually also because you know you've done something wrong. Mm. So by them taking the first step, you... Because I I find it's rarely 100% zero in any sort of anger or disagreement with someone. And so whatever you have to be asked for forgiveness for, when they didn't ask for it, then you could just you could tell yourself, well, then I don't need to. But now you're stuck in the position of actually having to be humble.
1: I think something else that's also going on there is... The big ghost doesn't like it because it's voluntary and not compelled. And it therefore takes away his power.
0: Oh, and breaks his worldview.
1: Yeah, if he could force him to serve him, he'd be okay with that. Yes. And Lewis actually even says when he rejects this, he is actually even a little happier because he gets to threaten. What makes him happy is the exertion of his own power.
0: Oh, you just made me think of another reason he operates from that rights worldview. So if the guy comes to him and is willing to serve him, he becomes indebted to that person. You ever had that before when someone gives you a gift? <laughs> you always feel guilty because now you got to give them a gift back. You didn't give me a gift. You gave me an obligation. Yes, exactly. So I think that's a, that could be part of this because the worldview he operates under, that would be his assumption. You did me right. I need to now do you right. And why would he ever do right to a murderer? But the one, I don't know if you want to make any comments on, we released a video on for forgiveness. And I, I believe you made a point that forgiveness is the central part to the gospel message. It is so important. If we don't forgive, we will not be forgiven. This episode here really demonstrates that through a fictional story quite beautifully. I mean, what is the reason he doesn't get to heaven? Because he can't forgive. Yeah. It's right
1: there. He says he'd rather be damned. And that's exactly what's going to happen. That's exactly what he's doing to himself. And not God. He himself. He's on the very threshold of heaven and he walks away. All because he's angry at God's generosity to others and because he's unwilling to offer forgiveness.
0: Hmm. This is why this is my favorite book.
1: (laughs) And whimpering, he walks back across the sharp grass and makes his way back to the bus. He's rejecting heaven because he wants it on his own terms. And man, over the course of this book, I'm going to say that again and again.
0: And this, this is why after this book, I started praying for weeks and weeks and weeks. God, what are the ways that I'm saying to you, my will be done? What are the terms that I'm not letting go of? And, and think of this, listeners, What are the, what's that last 5%? Because guess what? That's the most important part. Even if you've let go of 95%, but you can't let go of that last five or last one, that's a problem. Because you can't take it with you. Nope, you can't take it with you.
1: Well, I hear the last call bell. Ah, shoot. And next week we're going to be reading about my favorite character when we encounter the Episcopal Ghost.
0: Out of curiosity, is that anything to do with like, the Episcopal faith or not? Zero?
1: Sort of. Episcopal simply means bishop, hmm. relating to the bishopric. And since Lewis was an Anglican, he'd have most likely been thinking of an Anglican bishop. Okay. And the Episcopal church is related to that.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to the haikus. Yes, I have haikus to share. You know how much I love these. <laughs> I wrote three haikus for the big ghost. I'll rank them from best to worst.
1: Okay. Always done my best. I've gone straight my whole life. God owes me heaven. Mm. Next one. I'm not religious, but I've been a good man. Gotta have my rights. And this last one, this is my favorite. Bloody murderer, offering me charity. I'd rather be damned.
0: I think I like that the best just because of your enthusiasm and tone. <laughs> That's a good one. I like the first one a lot too. God owes me heaven. I almost like that line better than "Got to have my rights just because it, it shows the magnitude of what he's, how he's putting God in relation to him. God owes me.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, we also had a haiku from a listener. Uh, it was a message on Instagram from a fellow Notre Dame graduate, Duncan. He said that, like you, he went to what he called Professor Fagerberg's famous C.S. Lewis course. This
0: shocked me. Well, actually, I'll come back to this. Do the haiku and then I'll, I'll give you my thoughts on this whole thing.
1: And this is the haiku that he wrote Our ghostly eyes saw a somehow more solid light. Could it be sunrise? And he
0: spelled sunrise S O N. Ah, yeah. <laughs> clever. So, David sends me this screenshot of this DM that Duncan had sent through Instagram. And it was funny. I I laughed when I saw it because he mentions he took Fagerberg's class. And he called me out indirectly. He didn't realize he called me out because I mentioned how I haven't read much of Lewis's fiction. I think he thought I hadn't read any of it. I have his space trilogy we did in Fagerberg's class. But I believe we were supposed to read some of the Chronicles of Narnia, one or two of the books, and i didn't read them i just took read the notes because fagerberg was really detailed on his notes kind of like david is with his show notes you can get away without reading the book
1: so so that. so you you haven't rejected the bloody charity <laughs> no
0: i haven't see this is why i accept it so much because i need it um, but i was so excited as all i'm trying to say from this got called out a little bit for for skipping some of them but this class was so fantastic so we will need to i will send Uh, our preface episode to Fagerberg. I think that'd be a great one on The Great Divorce Mm -hmm. in the next couple of weeks. And then we'll have to invite him on. And I'm struggling because I feel like I should interview him. Sure. But I would trust you way better interviewing him than me. So I'm thinking three-way. and (laughs) You can do the bulk of the time. No, no, no.
1: If you want to interview him, you go for it.
0: (laughs) And we'll have to interview that wonderful uh, individual, that lady in Michigan, who is writing her thesis on Till We Have Faces. She would be a great person to bring on to talk about that book. We've
1: got a lot of interviews to do. <laughs> we do. Well, listeners, please feel free to reach out to us on RestlessPilgrim.net, PintsWithJack.com, on Twitter and Instagram,
0: at PintsWithJack. But until next time... Further up. And further in. Cheers. Cheers.